0: Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, where we can look at the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 434. Do you want to have a great, easy way to get off the cruise ship on the last day of the cruise without any issues? I've got the big mistakes people usually make on the last day of their cruise up next. I'm not going to sugarcoat things. The last day of the cruise is always awful. No matter what, you're always groggy, you're upset the cruise is over, and it's just not a fun day. But there are definitely some things you want to make sure that you're just not leaving your cruise ship and immediately running into a problem. I feel like all too often there are mistakes that a lot of people make getting off the ship, or at least they should have made to fix before they got off the ship and then run into later on. And certainly these are problems that I think are quite easily fixable before you run into them. But of course, you never know when it comes to this. And in the end of the day, you just want to make sure that when you get off your cruise ship, it's smooth smooth and easy. So today I wanted to focus on some mistakes that I often see people making when it comes to the end of their cruise and chief among them. Number one, with a bullet, check your bill before you get off the ship. I can't tell you how many times I see messages on the Royal cream blog message board. People say, Hey, I got home from the cruise and we got charged for towels. You know, there, I don't know what this charge is. We got overcharged for this thing. We didn't get a credit we were supposed to get. Make sure, especially the night before your cruise ends, to get a statement of everything you've spent so far and to ensure that it is all accurate. Mistakes happen. People are, you know, human beings. It can't happen. And a lot of times, you know, you may have some crew member tell you earlier in the cruise, oh, yes, that will not be charged to you or, you know, we'll take care of that one or reduce that one, and it just doesn't happen for whatever reason. Make sure you get the mistakes taken care of before you get off the ship. A lot of times people think, oh, you know what? Forget it, honey. We'll just, I'll just call Royal Caribbean next week and we'll sort it all out. That's a big mistake because it's really impossible for the shoreside staff to figure out what happened on board. It's just a lot more difficult to get that taken care of while you're on board the ship. Number two is assuming that the time you see listed as when you're getting back to shore is actually the time you're able to get off the ship. This is a really common mistake. So if you look at your cruise itinerary, it may say, oh, you're going to get back to Port Miami at 6 a.m. Yeah, not really. I mean, you may actually get to the dock at 6 a.m., but there takes a lot of time for the ship to be cleared by custom officials for luggage to be offloaded the ship. And this takes, quite frankly, a lot more time than you may think. So number one, don't plan on getting up that early sleep in. If you can take advantage of that opportunity, every extra hour of sleep does help, but don't assume that the time that's listed in the itinerary that you're going to dock is the time you can actually get off the ship. Usually, you're talking about, I would say, 7.30 a.m. to 8 a.m. is usually when the ship is cleared. But if you get an extra hour of sleep or so, that's definitely the way to go about it. Another one, speaking of getting off the ship really early, is avoid early flights home. You know, I often tell folks, you know, you should fly in at least a day ahead of time of your cruise. But when it comes to getting home after your cruise, I think a lot of people play too much Russian roulette with what time their flight home is. Now, it's hard to give you an exact time depending, you know, which port you're sailing from or going home from, I should say. But generally speaking, I don't recommend any flights before 11 a.m. And if you can do like noon or later, that's just ideal. That way you're not in a rush. There's no anxiety. Even if it's like, well, I think I can make it. The anxiety level of making sure that everything's on time, that you don't run into any lines or delays or traffic, it's just not worth it in my opinion. So try to avoid any of those early flights home. Try to do around lunch times. That way you can... First of all, maybe sleeping a little bit later. And then when you get off the ship, you can have a leisurely trip over to the airport, do your check. You don't have to worry too much. Oh, gosh, how long is security going to be? And again, for American ports, that's always noontime or later. You can certainly do an 11 a.m. hour flight. It I would recommend that for folks who probably don't have kids or are very efficient with getting through the airport, especially if you have like maybe pre-check or something like that. Something else you're going to want to make sure is check your luggage tags. The day before disembarkation, Royal Caribbean will give you luggage tags in your room. So that way you have no exactly what time you can go downstairs and pick up your luggage on the final morning of the cruise. These tag numbers are really important, both for timing and finding, of course, your suitcase on the pier. So number one, take a photo of these luggage tags. That way you can remember. I've often you know, forgotten. Oh, gosh, what number were we? Snap a photo with your phone or maybe take an extra one in case you need to have a copy of that one so you don't forget. Something else you're going to want to do, obviously, on the last day of the cruise is put your luggage out. You know, if you are putting your luggage out to be delivered to the terminal, that's a great option for you. Make sure it's out in time. Usually 10 p.m. is what time your luggage needs to be out there. And also make sure you leave yourself extra clothes so that way the next morning, the final morning of the cruise, you have something to wear. It's really easy to just be like, well, I'm going to pack all this stuff up and then realize, oh, gosh, I don't have anything to wear besides you know my pajamas or something like that. There's always somebody who ends up walking off the ship in the pajamas or in a bathrobe or something like that. Don't be that person. Make sure you leave out both clothing you're gonna need in the morning, as well as toiletries and medicine you may need in that morning. You have the option of carrying off your luggage, by the way. So this is only really good number one if you're able-bodied. If you're on a short sailing, a three or four-nighter, it's really easy to do this. But if you're on a seven-night cruise, you know, taking everybody's luggage off the ship can be a little daunting, a little you know, physically in- intimidating, quite frankly. So, make sure that you're capable of doing it. If not, leave the luggage to be brought off the ship. And by the way, speaking of those luggage tag numbers, if you get a number and it's you look at the and it's like, well, that's not gonna work, I need an earlier time or a later time. Later time doesn't really matter, it's more the earlier time that matters because the luggage tags correlate to a time in which your luggage will be ready. Doesn't mean you have to be down there exactly at that time, just no earlier than that time, anyway. If you needed a, a earlier time, a a lower luggage tag number, go to guest services and and politely ask. Usually you don't have to give them a story. They'll just be like, yeah, what number do you want? Okay, good. Here you go. (laughs) And and you're off to the races. But it's really important to leave out anything you need for that next morning. Uh, So that way, like things like toothbrush, pajamas, medicine, you just want to make sure you have those things so that you haven't packed them away. Speaking of having a relaxing morning, also don't forget about breakfast in the morning. I know it can be kind of like one of those situations, and I'm certainly guilty of this, where you think, yourself, like, that's the last day of the cruise. I just want to get off the ship. I just want to go home, right? And then within about 45 minutes of being off the ship, you certainly think to yourself, man, I'm hungry. <laughs> you know, maybe the first time you've actually been super hungry since getting on the ship, but nonetheless, you'll be hungry. Take advantage of that breakfast. Again, if you had that later flight home, if you did that noontime or later, you're going to have plenty of time on the ship. And room service is usually not available on the last morning of the cruise, but you'll have breakfast available in the main dining room as well as the Windjammer. Of course, if you're staying in a suite, you may have Coastal Kitchen or another area to go to as well. But take advantage of that breakfast. I mean, again, it's the last free food you're going to have on board the ship. And by the way, Starbucks is usually open on the last morning of the cruise as well. And yes, you can take your Starbucks off the ship. I've done that a couple different times, and it's been well worth when I get back in my car and I'm like, oh, yes, finish my Starbucks coffee is really, really nice. You know, something else that's been different about disembarkation since Royal Caribbean restarted cruises in 2021 is the fact that you can stay in your room longer than normal. So before the pandemic, you would have to exit your room by a certain hour, and then you need to report to a certain area of the ship to wait for your luggage tag number to be called. Because of overcrowding, they don't want to do that anymore. So instead, you get to remain in your room. But there is a fine line, in my opinion, between you know, staying in your room and, of course, being respectful of what time you need to get out of there so that way your cabin attendant can turn the room over. Certainly, Royal Caribbean says you can be in your room until, you know, whatever time they're going to start doing everybody off the ship kind of situation. But if at all possible, try to vacate it as early as you can. So that way you can be respectful of your cabin attendant, but don't feel like you need to get out of there at 6 a.m. by any means. Again, this is the new normal. They understand that and boarding time is a little bit later than they used to be. So make sure that works for you, but understand that there's a lot of other things happening along the way. I think another tip for your luggage, by the way, when you get off the ship and you pick up your luggage, just like the airport, it's really going to be helpful to have a way to distinguish your bags from somebody else, whether that is a sticker, whether that is a piece of string or what have you, some sort of decoration on your luggage, so that way you can easily identify it. Even though your luggage will be relegated to a certain number right in the cruise terminal, it's going to be helpful to have a specific way to say, oh, I see that blue ribbon or that green sticker or that luggage tag on there that I put on there, you know, a vanity one. It's a lot easier to just pick it out. And by the way, I know it costs a little bit of money to tip them. The porters on the last morning of your cruise are worth their weight in gold because it is so easy to have them take your luggage for you. And don't forget, you can also give them the luggage you're taking off the ship as well. If you have liquor or a backpack, give that to them. They can put it on their cart. I think it's well worth it. And in a lot of cases, depending on the terminal, the porters actually have a special line for them or a way that they can certainly bypass any lines that may or may not be there. So make sure that's something you take advantage of. I'm telling you, I love tipping the porters in the last morning of the cruise because it just means one less thing for me to carry on. And then, of course, a lot of porters will also take the extra step to actually pack your stuff back in your car for you. If you have a car, they'll actually put it in your trunk, which is really nice. So tip them a little bit, and that makes a lot of difference. I think truly the last morning of the cruise is going to be a lot easier for you. If you simply try to plan out as much as you can in advance, whether we're talking about things you do at home, like, you know, putting certain decorations on your luggage or while on board the ship doing packing at the right time to ensure a smooth departure off the ship, all of that contributes to a much smoother experience getting off the ship. All too often, I see folks who try to just do it all at the last minute or didn't do anything at all. And just like, forget it. We'll just figure it all out when we get there. And you know what? It makes sense at the time. I've certainly been guilty of doing that and be like, I'll pack the next morning. And every morning I pack the next morning, I regret it every time. Like, why didn't I pack the day before? Ugh, I could have been sleeping right now. Anyway, take advantage of those things. All right, time to answer your listener emails. It's part of the podcast where I answer the emails you've sent me. And If you'd love to send me a question to be answered here on the podcast, you can always do so by sending to matt at blog.com Matt at blog.com My first email today. Coming to us from Stacy Schlenker of Wynn, Arkansas, or Winnie, Arkansas. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, Stacy writes, how does one decide which Alaska itinerary is the best? Is there one you'd recommend over another? I've listened to many of your Alaska blogs, but still I'm afraid I'll pick the wrong one. I have three teenagers, 19, 17, and 15. I've warned them that the Chips for Alaska are not the focus of the trip. Stacy, it's a really good email. Thank you for sending it in. So there isn't a wrong itinerary, I would say. They're all... Great. I think it's a question of what you're looking to do more than anything. You know, truly, when you're looking at an Alaska cruise, you know, you're talking about a cruise that either departs from Seattle or Vancouver. There are some open jaw sailings. These are cruises that begin in one port and end in another. So sometimes the Vancouver cruises begin in Vancouver and then end in Anchorage. And then the next cruise begins in Anchorage and ends in Vancouver, so forth. The advantage of that itinerary the open jaw is you get to more interesting ports you get more deeper into alaska if you will the problem with that itinerary is that you're either flying to or from alaska so almost certainly you're not getting a direct flight you've got to connect and it's a long amount of travel whereas if you fly to seattle first of all it's a domestic flight if you're an american which means the flight cost will be cheaper and you'll get a round trip flight there's many round trips flights to seattle so it's going to be a little bit easier and cheaper to get there but the cruises from Seattle don't generally visit as many or as many ports or as deep into Alaska as you get. You know, back in the day, the your your assessment, Stacy, that you know basically the ships aren't the destination would be accurate. There's still some truth to that. Don't get me wrong. But the um, you know they they've changed it up. Back in the day, you'd get the the smaller royal Caribbean ships, the Radiance class ships and whatnot. And now you still have them, but you also have the Quantum class ships there. Uh, in 2022, you're going to have Ovation and Quantum of the Seas, and that'll also. Be the case in 2023 so you're not compromising on the ship i remember we went on explorer the seas in 2018 in alaska and that's a voyager class ship so smaller than the quantum class but i remember at the time people were like whoa a voyager class ship in alaska how is that going to work and it worked and and the quantum class even more so so if you are truly concerned about your kids i know your teens are a little older and you know i'm not they're not quite the age where they need constant supervision or they need to have a litany of different activities to do, but certainly a quantum class ship might be a better choice for them. And I would say this, don't worry too much about the itinerary. If it's your first time in Alaska, I think a cruise out of Seattle that is a round trip, which is going to be a quantum class ship is really not a bad idea at all. You will feel like you are in Alaska. You're still going to visit some really cool ports. You're going to have a couple sea days on top of that. I feel like that might be a really good intro to Alaska, certainly picking Vancouver is not a bad idea either, and doing more you know port intensive itinerary, but you know it, it's I, it really comes down to a lot of factors. You know, number one, some people might say, well, Matt, this is my only time ever going to Alaska. You know, I the, who knows if I'll ever come back, and if I do, it won't be for another you know ten years, something like that, right? That's a fair point. And if you're gonna do Alaska once, you probably want to do it the best you could possibly do it and doing one of those open jaw sailings or what a lot of people do actually do is they they'll do two cruises in a row so they'll fly into vancouver and then do a back-to-back sailing so that way their cruise ends in vancouver because they're doing two different sailings and then that helps a little bit with those logistical issues i mentioned earlier but you get to see like a lot of amazing ports you can certainly do that and that might not be a bad idea so if this is like a one and done and time is no issue because you're cruising over the summer then i would do a back-to-back out of vancouver i'm actually taking my own advice here stacy we're doing that on serenade of the seas next year in 2022 but you know if this is like well i'm not sure Matt, but you know i want to try it out at the very least i think a, a a quantum class ship for your boys might i'm assuming not boys teenagers might be a really good uh first suggestion to do that and that allows you to experience alaska be on a great ship and not feel like you're compromising in terms of the onboard experience even though you're right there is a lot of you really focus on what's happening on on shore i just don't want you to feel like you're truly making a mistake where I'm really kind of splitting hairs here with what was superior than another one, which is not really the case at all. It's more a question of, you know, what you're looking for. So hopefully that answers your question. Our next email is from Steve, who writes, hi, Matt, just listening to your podcast on episode 430 and have an important comment. You answered a question from Kelly about selling from San Juan, Puerto Rico. One of the things she asked is if Puerto Rico requires any special paperwork, they do. And it's very important that it's filled out ahead of time. Without this paperwork, you're not allowed to leave the airport. The name of the document is the Puerto Rico Travel Safe Declaration and QR Code. It can be filled online at travelsafe.pr.gov. Steve, thank you for the email. And, of course, there's a lot of always you know, important things there that um, certainly I, I maybe fail to disclose as well. But it's important to know those kinds of things. I certainly would imagine that if you got to the airport, they'd kind of clue you in on that. But being in advance is always a smart idea and knowing what to expect. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Our next email is from Arbo. You're right. That's how they signed it. Hi, Matt. Looking forward to each new podcast. Today, I'm anxious to listen and learn about the Tampa Port Restart on my way home from the office. We're scheduled to sail Brilliance of the Seas for New Year's, departing Tampa, December 29th. I know a couple months ago, Brilliance's original restart was pushed back to December 13th, and several people were booked on Serenade instead. However, in another forum, some real crimping passengers were freaking out that suddenly... All the Brilliance December departures were disappeared from Royal Caribbean's website. I checked, and it's true, but I don't think any issue to worry about. Assuming all is well and on track with Brilliance's December restart, Royal Caribbean will likely do a test cruise before scheduled itineraries. Can you provide any insight as to what Brilliance's restart plans are as of late? Sir, absolutely. Happy to help you out here, Arbo. Uh, You may already know this information. This email was sent to me about a month ago. and Anyway, but we'll answer the question anyway. It's still relevant. So, Brilliance of had her first test cruise uh, completed. Last week, December 5th, she went out, and uh, as far as I can tell, it's went fine, and I say as far as I can tell, because Royal Caribbean doesn't ever advertise what happens with these test cruises. I should say they never. They, they have not been recently. Test cruises have become more a mere formality, quite frankly. You know, the CDC re- requires the test cruises. Even if they didn't, Royal Caribbean would still do it, because when a ship comes back into service after a bit of time off, they need a simulated voyage in order to get the crew members ready to go. So whether or not the CDC requires it or not is, a, is kind of secondary. And on top of that, the actual, yeah, all the test cruises that have been done so far have been just, you know, again, mere formalities. It seems like so. I wouldn't worry too much about that. And as you mentioned, Brilliant to the Seas restarted cruises on December thirteenth, so all good there. You know, a lot of times on the online forums, I've seen plenty of times people freak out because something changes. You know, human beings don't like change. We're not, we don't like it. We don't want everything to always be the same. Everything we expect there to be the case when there's not a something exactly the way we expect, it, people start freaking out. Right? We're we're very we're very fidgety animals out there and we don't like change and, and certainly i've seen that in the past but yeah no, not to worry about that in fact i would wager to say any anybody looking at a test cruise coming up here either at the end of 2021 or into 2022 i wouldn't lose any sleep over the test cruises like i said they seem to be more mere formalities than anything else there's not really any um i don't want to say no danger that anything's possible but certainly not a cause for concern at any level if you ask me so Next email is from Jenna Violi McAndrew, who writes, "Uh, Hi Matt, thanks again for all you do with the podcast and blog. Question about travel agents. After hours with the Royal Caribbean on the phone, repricing my cruise, and checking the status of my refunds, it's clear the next time I should just use a travel agent. However, I'm wondering, how does repricing your cruise affect your travel agent? If Royal Caribbean gives them a cut of what I'm spending on the cruise, that should mean that my travel agent is going to get less if I reprice my cruise, Correct. That me that seems that doesn't seem fair. If that's the case, I don't know why that I would want to do that to a travel agent, or does this somehow work differently than I'm thinking thanks to your help? Jenna, that's a really good question. I believe the answer you're correct, that basically travel agents are paid a commission based on the total cost of your cruise. If you pay if your cruise costs ten thousand dollars, you're gonna make a lot more money on the commission than if they if your cruise costs, you know, a thousand dollars, right? That being said, travel agents, Jenna, are you're not shorting the travel agent. Don't look at it like that the value of a customer to a travel agent is not in your one cruise. It's not in the one sailing you're looking to book. It's in multiple cruises because over the long term, long repeat customers are where travel agents make money. You book a lot of cruises. Someone else books a lot of cruises. Their brother books a lot of cruises. I book a lot of cruises. And you know what? They've got a steady stream of commission checks coming in there. So in the, And they want to make you happy. And the best way to make a customer happy is to save them money. So this is a long game, not a How do I get every last penny out of Jenna? Certainly there are maybe some travel agents out there that think that way. And I would be the first to point out that they're doing it wrong and it's going to be to their detriment in the long run. But no, a a good travel agent is looking to save you as much money as possible. Yes, that's coming at their commission. But again, that's going to get you hopefully to say, you know what? I want to rebook with person X and, you know, be able to rebook my cruise and, you know, and then book more cruises and, you know, if, 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 I think many people listening to this podcast would agree most of the time when you're booking a cruise, especially with things kind of stabilizing. So let's take a pandemic out of the equation for a moment. You know, usually you book a cruise. It, it's kind of an easy process. They're not the, the agent is not spending a ton of time managing your specific reservation. So it becomes a little bit easier, right? You say, all right, I want to I want to book this cruise. They already know how many people in your party that you like to prepay your gratuities and which credit card you have. So it becomes very easy. And then over the long run, it start getting more and more clients the commission checks are coming in there. So don't look at it. One cruise, look at the big picture here, Jenna, and certainly a, a good travel agent is going to want to save you money on that. So hopefully that answers It's a really good question. Actually, I don't think I've ever gotten that question before and, and it's a fair point. Next, we have an email from Renee. We have a current sailing on Symphony of the Seas booked for January 15th, 2022. I'm debating on booking the week prior in the same room, which would be January 8th, making it our first back-to-back. The same room is available. If I let them pick my room, what are the chances I get the same stateroom crystal ball question I know? So Renee is asking, she wants to consider doing a back-to-back cruise. And if she does does the guarantee room where Royal Caribbean chooses the room, what are the chances she keeps the same room? I would say slim to none. I don't think Royal Caribbean ever looks at oh, the you know, uh, uh, you know, Renee is in room A. Let's book her the same one. It doesn't work that way. It's in fact independent of that. So I would say number one, yes, you want to have the same room. Number two, I'd pick the same. I pick the specific room to assure you of that. I've done back to backs where you change rooms. It is so much easier and better if you can be in the same room. Trust me on that. It's worth the cost, unless it's like you know, half the cost to go to a guarantee, I just wouldn't do it. I would just, I I'd, I'd rather pay a little bit extra and be able to pick the room. Trust me on turnaround day, Renee, you will thank me on that one. But, uh, certainly there is one more thing you could do, of course, which is that you do the guarantee real Caribbean assigns you a different room. But if that, if your original room is still available and it's the same category of room that they assigned you, you can change the room assignments without an additional cost there, but it seems like you're playing a game of chance. That's just not necessary in my opinion, but Hey, hundred bucks is a hundred bucks or $200 is $200. It adds up certainly. And I understand that. So, uh, I, but I just want to give you what I would do. And I would definitely pick the same room there. Our next question in this week's episode is from Jeff from Exton, Pennsylvania. Hey Matt, I know you're probably working on your annual list. Of things you'd like to see in 2023. I thought I'd throw up my number one idea there for consideration that I believe you discussed two years ago. I'd like to see the shows rotate between ships. I primarily sail out of New Jersey for cost and convenience. I've been on Anthem of the Seas many times in the past five years, and I'm going to be on it two more times next year. They've had the same show since launch, and I no longer have interest in seeing them anymore, but I'd love to see a show from a different ship. The shutdown was the perfect opportunity to swap shows between ships, and I was really disappointed they didn't take advantage of this opportunity. Just my thoughts, thanks for your time. Jeff, great email, and I don't disagree with you. I mean, number one, the reason why they're not changing shows, swapping shows exchanging shows is it costs money it's going to be always Uh cheaper as in no extra cost just keep the same show there and remember of course most passengers on board the ship have never been on that ship before or brand new to cruising or both and thus it's new to them i certainly commiserate with you jeff i've seen many of the same shows a bazillion times and Uh you know i understand it after about two or three times if that it can be a little tiresome I think there's a couple things at play. Number one, I don't hate your idea, but it's going to have... There is a cost to changing it. Even if you have the same cast. Number one, you got to get the cast from point A to point B. Number two, you're going to have to get the staging set for the new shows. And There's going to be preparation work with that. There's going to be costs with that. There's just... It, right now, those costs are not, I don't think, costs that Royal Caribbean is looking to eat right now because, of course, they, they're still swimming in a lot of debt uh, generated from the pandemic. But... Even if you look before the pandemic, you know, pre twenty nine, pre-2020, 19, whatever you want to call it, there was, you know, no real change of shows. I mean, there are, my, my favorite story about shows, people bring up this kind of thought is I, I point out that on Rhapsody of the Seas, they have a country music show where the, the big number, the new number is the Dolly Parton song 9 to 5, which shows you exactly how long that show's been on that ship. You know, it's just... I think the ROI on updating the shows for a smaller percentage of guests just to make a lot of sense uh, and or people that have been on Anthem, you know, may only go on there once every X so often they forget what the show is or what was on there. And certainly people like you and me, Jeff, are the exception to that. So I, I think you, you understand that. But I think honestly, the my only, I don't hate your idea. I don't think your idea is terrible. I think it's a it's a neat idea. I wouldn't mind having shows move around a little bit more, especially the Broadway shows on the the bigger ships, you know, whether it's Hairspray, Grease, Mamma Mia, it'd be great if they, you know, they did little tours and, you know, for six months they run this ship and six months they run that ship. That'd be a cool idea. But at the end of the day, it's going to cost money. And as long as that's there, it's going to be a hard rock to move because keeping it where it is will save them money as it were. So, or it doesn't cost them any money. It doesn't really save them any money. It just doesn't cost them anything extra. So, Yeah, it's a a good email. But thank you, Jeff, for the email. Next, we have an email from Renee. Hi, Matt. I'm selling out of Oasis of the Seas on Cape Liberty in 260 days. So far, I'm only seeing excursions in the cruise planner for one of our three ports of call. When does Royal Caribbean usually post these? For context, our ports are Leopardy, St. Martin, and San Juan. Only St. Martin have excursions listed. You know, it's a great question. There is no set timeline, Renee. It's not like, oh, well, when you get to 180 days or 90 days or 45 days, you'll see them there. It just magically appears at one point. There is no rhyme or reason or, or logic that I have found to it. So just keep an eye on it, and hopefully you'll be able to uh, book an excursion soon. But keeping in mind, I mean, with few exceptions, I feel like you usually have a lot of leeway to book those things. So don't feel like you have to book it exactly on day one. Those excursions usually don't sell out unless you're going to a port that is kind of new or has limited things. But, you know, just keep an eye on it. It will eventually show up there. And our last email today is from Marona Klein. Right. Hi, Matt. Just listening to your podcast. Thank you very much. I have a question. I bought two COVID at-home proctor tests for my trip to the UK, but only wound up using one. I purchased it at Cured, which, and it is a coital brand. I don't know what those are. It's Q-U-O-I-D-E-L. It, is, it has an emergency use authorization and is accepted by the FDA and the CDC. Does already have this here. Do you think that would be accepted? The email sa- they send is, it is fit to fly certificate, which states all the information Royal Caribbean is looking for, or should I play it safe and get the Royal brand re- recommends? Rhoda, I would definitely get the one that Royal Caribbean recommends. Number one, I don't know anything about your the, the one that you're mentioning here, the cured um, Q-U-R-E-D, but it has to be proctored. Uh, that's the big thing for Royal Caribbean. So unlike other at-home tests, like you go to Walgreens right now or CVS or any pharmacy near you, and I'm sure there's, you know, three or four, if not more at-home COVID tests that you can do, but I would point out that those tests are not proctored, meaning someone has to watch you administer, someone who's, you know, a health professional, see you being administered. So until I see Royal Caribbean update its website, because technically speaking, it's just supposed to be an FDA approved at-home test that is proctored, uh, of which I'm not sure any of them are beyond the Abbott one. I'm not familiar with any, but... I would just get the one that Royal Caribbean sells Ron, It's just not worth the risk here. And at the end of the day, having these extra tests actually isn't a bad thing. <laughs> if you get a cough, you get a little bit of fever, the sniffles. It's nice to have these at-home tests. We've used a number of them for our own purposes. Not like we're going on a cruise, but because again, somebody has the sniffles, well, let's just be safe, take the test because it's really easy to do at home and then, you know, see if there's anything here to worry about. So. Thank you, Roder, for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out the Royal Caribbean Blog podcast. Again, you can send me your emails to be featured right here on the podcast by sending them to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg and we'll talk again real soon.